Down at Our Rendezvous is recorded before a live drinking audience. Well, uh, regular listeners of Down at Our Rendezvous know the voice. It starts every episode of our podcast. I'm sure they've heard him many times in many episodes when we've gotten together here at the Regal Seagull. But, Shell, we've never really sat down and focused entire episode on our host every Friday. Are you trying to make him more nervous I'm than not, he no, already no, is I right mean, now? But this is, we've, <laughs> so we've got Patty. Focusing our, in on Our him. friend Patrick, Patty from the Regal Seagull, is going to be sitting in with us today. Um, on down at our rendezvous. So we've pulled him away from the other side of the bar. He's sitting down, probably very uncomfortable. No, he's not that uncomfortable. You sit there all the time. Just yes, after I your do. shift's over, you just switch from <laughs> just one. Just not with a mic in front of Not with the microphone yes, exactly. in front of you. But um, we could talk about a lot of different things. Um, but we wanted to bring you on because you went back to South Africa recently where you're from. And I'm just fascinated to learn more kind of about just the country, what it was like growing up there and... What is your adjustment when you move to the United States? How's it kind of different? I know very little about South Africa, and I thought it would be fascinating for you know our our listeners and podcast people who come to the Regal Seagull, gotten to know you, get to know a little bit more about where you're from. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's a little weird being on this side, as you said. It's like a, a little strange. I'm starting to feel a little flush, but nonetheless. <laughs> Especially we, uh, in the, like, the daytime. We're going to talk about a subject I know nothing about, so we're all good. <laughs> well, you should. It's like every other Friday. It's your own life. You should know a little something about it here. So, um, first of all, uh, when did you leave South Africa? How old were you when you left South Africa for the United States? So... Just take a little step back. I, I was playing semi-pro soccer back in South Africa, and I tore my ACL and had it repaired. And that was back in the days when you had um, you had to wear a full cast for eight weeks, and then you could. It took a minimum a year, probably a year and a half to two years to get back. And uh, me being me, I just couldn't. I was impatient and got back on the field within eight months, and subsequently tore my ACL again. So there was a lot of frustration going on in my life, not being able to play. It was my passion. It was whatever I wanted to do all the time. So. Um, a buddy of mine came to me and said, listen, let's go to the World Cup in Italy in 1990. And I was like, okay, well, let's do that. I've got to get out of here. I've got to go and do something different. So I quit my job, got my, withdrew my pension and said, okay, I'm out. Got all my money together and we left and we went uh, to Europe. And that was in uh, March of 1990. And uh, needless to say, we didn't make it. I ran out of money after six weeks. <laughs> so I didn't get to the World Cup. Oh. <laughs> Which was a few months later I, that summer. Yeah. You know? yeah. And interestingly enough, before I left, my brother had said to me, he said, you'll be back in two months. And I said, no way. And I remember standing with 12 pennies in my hand and a ticket back home, and I refused. And back then, you know, that was in the days when there were a lot of uh, sanctions against South Africa, so we, had, we couldn't work anyway. So basically had to go around without getting myself in trouble, uh, go around and find under-the-table work. So, and I opted to do that in, you know, long, long days and... Short nights were uh, with, with, with the norm for a, for a bunch of different months. But um, in traveling, I ended up in Greece. I met this lady in Greece, and uh, she lived in Lake Tahoe. And so she came to spend a couple of weeks with me in uh, London when I went back and uh, ended up coming to Tahoe for three months. And uh, the rest is history. So December of 1990, I arrived here. December 3rd, 1990. With a little Italian and Greek stopover on the way over. Exactly right. Interesting. So how old were you at the time? Uh, I believe I was like 27. Okay, so growing up in South Africa through yeah, birth through age 27, tell me just a little bit about what that 
that childhood is like growing up in South Africa. And as you said, what the like the political climate at the time between now and then things were, like you said, a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, I I've, I feel somewhat lucky and fortunate to have grown up in a time when when the apartheid system was at its highest, and you because I got to experience history. You know, I grew up through living in it as a kid and seeing it through a kid's eyes. And um, you know, I, I think perception is always reality to everyone. But as a kid, I always knew that something didn't seem right. I just, it, for me, it was just one of those innate things. And that's why I say when people say, oh, that's because that's the way they grew up. I understand that and it does apply to some people. But when you see it, I mean, I remember our maid. And we were a lower middle class family, um, but we could have a maid. And there was no regulations on it. It was just a lady coming to look for work and who did your laundry and your cleaning and took, after, took, took care of the kids in the afternoon. I mean, I'd come home from school and our maid would make us lunch. And then we'd go out and play and come home and she'd be making dinner and my mom would get home from and work. And she, was, was, she was black, I, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's how they had to make, that's how a lot of the black women had to make their money. Um, so growing up in that, it was weird. I mean, I remember one day when I was a young kid hadn't, having to go to school and my maid had to take me on the bus because my mom was working. She had to sit in the back of the bus with me. She could not sit anywhere else but on the back of the bus, on the white bus. Because there were two different, there was white buses and black buses. The black buses were basically green ones and the white buses were red ones. So when you, when you look back at it, it makes you cringe to think about that. And it, I mean, even now my hair stands on end. It's just a weird, weird, so weird, weird concept. It's like, wow, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, because you probably cared about her because she was, she was your caretaker. So you probably cared about her. And then seeing her have to take you to sit in the back of the bus and feeling that. I mean, you're a very, you're an empathetic guy. I know because sometimes I cry at the bar and it makes you sad. <laughs> like every day about something. But you're, you're an empathetic guy and you feel that. I mean, you feel people's feelings. So I can, I know that. That's why you realized it was wrong. Right, absolutely. And you know, it, it's uh, it, the other thing was that we'd have, like, we'd lived in, like, a, there's one, one spot I rem remember specifically was uh, a four apartment complex, and um, uh, the maid had gone out for something, but she'd, uh, she, apparently she was downstairs. My mom said, Can you go and call her because she needed something? And I walked down and I walked into her living quarters, and I'm not lying to you. So the rest of the building has electricity. There's no electricity, no running water. The toilet is essentially a hole in the ground. And I saw that, you know, the room is lit with candles. And it was shocking. As a kid, when you see that for the first time, and you go, wow, how come there's no electricity? I mean, you ask that yourself that question. How come there's no electricity down here? There's electricity in the rest of the building. You know, Absolutely. growing up here, I remember seeing stories, obviously, about Nelson Mandela and, you know, the fight against apartheid. and you know, protests and the, the slow change of, of how things were done. But you know, from your perspective, while you were there, what was the catalyst? How was that change implemented in the country to, to get it to where it is today from where it was back then? Right. And so once again, the way it happened is always a perception thing because you see it from your, through, your, through your prism and the people see it differently. For me, it was... The, the activism, I mean, listen, we had to go to the military. It was mandatory two years in the army. 
Um, and then you, part of that year is one year of training, one year on the border uh, in, in Namibia, because what was then Southwest Africa, to control influx of communism to, because they wanted to be independent and it was a communistic, going to be communistic. So uh, we'd have to go up and, and defend the borders. Uh, I played a lot of soccer, so I didn't have to do it. <laughs> but, uh, but nonetheless, that's what, that's what the whole premise was. And ANC was a terrorist group. Um, and so they would bomb. I mean, you, it's weird to, it's almost deja vu for me because these days when you walk into shopping malls and you're going to go through metal detectors and, you know, you have security all over the place, is what we grew up with in the 70s and 80s. In the early, most of the 70s and early 80s where you'd have to go through metal detectors to go into shopping malls and car bombs going off. I mean, a car bomb went off outside one of our favorite haunts that we used to be in, you know? So, and that was ANC directed. So, to see that and then suddenly have the changes happening. Now, the changes happened because of a lot of different reasons. Political pressure, um, sanctions, slowly took their toll on, on, uh, on, on South Africa. And so finally it was, you know, it, it, the sanctions definitely worked. Um, but I think there was, a, there was a sense within the people too, for the most part, I mean, it's give or take, that especially where I was from, Durban, a little more liberal, uh, that change needed to happen, change needed to happen. So that slowly, so from the, you know, from, so the early 80s, it slowly started changing. All the laws were still in the books. And then by the time, by the time, um, yeah, we, we got to the mid 80s, I mean, playing soccer, which is my sport, it was all white soccer clubs or black soccer clubs. Um, by the mid 80s, it was integrated. There was some upheaval in terms of, oh, you can't have black players in the league when a lot of clubs just said, screw that, we, these guys deserve to be playing on our team. So that slowly started happening. Obviously, all the, the um, laws were still valid, but what they were doing was make, maintaining that if you, want, if you want to enforce the law, you have to be willing to show up in court to enforce it. So um, that's where the transition st slowly started happening and people started to be more acceptable um, and then, you know, then what, what that does is it brings out radicals. And when the radicals come out on both sides, people suddenly realize what's right and what's wrong. So, You um, recently went back for the first time in how many years? 18, 18 years. years. So at least we'll, we can talk about some of the other aspects of South Africa. But in terms of politically and the integration of the country, how different was it when you went back for your recent visit compared to when you left in 1990? Look, I'd like to say it was unbelievably good, but it wasn't. Uh, the the crime and violence is at an all-time high and everywhere. It's, it's you know, Originally it was just Johannesburg, but it spread down to Cape Town and Durban, which are generally more laid back. Um, everyone's on edge. It, 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 uh, it's a primarily economically driven because even after yes. political changes, you're going to have generations yes. where catching up after you've been, you know... Um, suppressed by laws for so long it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't even happen in a generation or two i mean even in this country we're you know 70 80 years going on to integration and still you still see economic differences between races in this country so you're a lot newer in south africa with those so that's primarily the kind of the cause well, of the tension it's, and the friction it's, it's 100 percent economical it's it's it eco economical yeah. e the economy it's, it's people aren't People aren't able to sustain themselves. There's a, you know, and, and a, there's a whole issue going on there right now with xenophobia, where immigrants are coming in from surrounding countries and from Kenya and all over, and they're coming in and, and getting jobs, and uh, 
and um, opening businesses and the, the local populace are saying, no, this is ridiculous. So there's rioting and you know they, they're attacking Department of Homeland Affairs and for granting work permits. So it's 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 chaos. It's it's it's. I mean, law and order, unfortunately, right at this point, is on a is, is on a fine line. Um, it's uh, it's there, and people sort of abide by it. They're law-abiding citizens abide by it, and those who don't care about it don't care about it. They're, they'll do whatever they want. So it's it's. It's and, and people that live there just basically are used to living that way. They, 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 they go, oh, it's, this is what we live in. Yeah, you said that like na there were so many more security fences up and walls up and more so around every home. Well, yeah, I mean, and this and this applies to everyone. I mean, everyone who lives in the suburban district, basically, you have burglar bars on all the windows, security gates on your on your front door. The entire perimeter of your property is surrounded by a fence wall on top of which is barbed wire and or electric fence. And in addition to that, 24-hour uh, private security. So you'll find blocks and blocks of one security company and then another two, three blocks of a different security company, but they monitor entire blocks now. And that's just, that's just a way of life. It's crazy when you told me that because I think about Channel 10 and they've had a couple crazy things happen over the last couple of years, like some guy trying to get into the station i mean who knows what he was his intentions were but so now you know they have You've had people like climb our barbara friends and yeah, like bloody the they'd show up and try to get into our building get into the building wow and so and they've always had the fences but they've obviously had to ramp it all up and now when you go in and out of that parking lot you have to you have to go through the gate and sit and wait until the gate closes before you pull away both both ways and you told me that that's basically what what your family has to do so they go out of their gate of their home and then they sit in the car and wait for the gate to close because they have to make sure no one enters the gate and it it just that's insane that they have to do that at their own home yeah and that's exact. i mean that what you just described is exactly how it is no matter where you go and then you know um my uh, my sister and her and my brother, the, the apartment complexes they live in, they have uh, the, the council rules for those apartments basically stipulate to everyone, they have the annual meetings, you have to wait. If you, you can get fined for not waiting for the gate to close before you pull up. If someone sees you, they can, they can have you report you to the, com to the, to the committee and, and you can get fined for not doing it. We just it. get a stern email at work if someone sees us <laughs> pulling away too fast. Now, yeah. you, uh, we talk about it and, and obviously there's problems and it may, may make it sound pretty dystopian, but from everything I've heard, South Africa is also a beautiful country. Maybe... Nowhere in the world more like Southern California in terms of weather, climate, even culture, you know, in terms of surfing and coastal than South Africa. Is that, would you say that that's, that's accurate, that it is very Southern California-like in, in many respects? Absolutely. I mean, especially in Durban, where I'm from, very, very similar climate to, to, um, to San Diego. The, um, the, only, the only thing is that it, it's a lot more humid in the summer. It's more Florida-esque in the summer, uh, but beautiful. I mean, the beaches are unbelievable. The summer, which is, by the way, Surf is great. December through March is the summer. Exactly. Yes. So we have, a, we have, a, we have a, a 90 degree uh, Christmas. Are there stingrays at the beaches in South Africa? <laughs> Shell no. trouble with stingrays no. But recently. you know what? <laughs> it's easier dealing with stingrays, and I'll tell you why. Because in summer, when the northeasters blow in South Africa, they bring all sorts of jellyfish and blue bottles. I don't know if you know what a blue oh, okay. bottle is. No. No. And it's basically, it looks like a big blister. 
Oh. And it's got a long blue tentacle that you can't see in the water. And when that thing wraps around you, you your glands swell up. You can hardly oh. walk. If it's on your leg. If it's on your arm, you can't even move your arm. And you literally have to wait. And there's not, not much you can do on it. Just wait until sharks? the pain goes away. They have okay. sharks? Plenty of sharks. sharks. Okay, well, I'll take the okay. stingrays over. Because the, the at least if you shuffle, they'll go away. They don't really <laughs> want to be around you. Stingrays are way better than blue bottles, <laughs> okay. I can promise you. Um, so what is the what is kind of the lifestyle culturally? I mean, just for a you know, typical kind of middle middle class family, I mean, what's life like in South Africa? It's I mean it's 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 good. I mean listen, as you said, it's a beautiful country. There's so much to see, so much to do. Um, culturally obviously going through some changes, um, but it's almost part of the experience in a lot of respects. Uh, you know, I, w I walked around at the, uh, they're putting a whole new, like in Durban, they're putting a whole new promenade that literally goes like five, six miles. So people run and they bike and they, you know, it's, it's a great activity zone. Um, they, the, um, they have a, uh, an aquarium that they moved. It's phenomenal. There's so much, uh, so much to do there. A lot of cultural stuff, you know, the Zulu type stuff, because obviously where I'm from, KwaZulu Natal is where the predominantly Zulu, Zulu tribe is from. So. Um, a lot of that authentic stuff that's that's uh, that's amazing to see and and uh, it's I, I have hope I've always said it's going to take a generation or two for everything to even out but it's uh, yeah it depends on, 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 on unfortunately it depends on politics. Do you have like lions and zebras and giraffes or is that more northern Africa? Yeah, in my backyard. No, no I don't know. Kidding. I'm really I'm asking. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, they absolutely. Okay. Well, so yeah, I mean, so it's uh, a, a weird side, side thing is that you know. Because, because the farms are so challenged right now, there's a lot of them, there are basically farms that breed lions. So farmers can put them on their property oh, to wow. ward off. To, and they, they feed them once a week or whenever they need to be fed, but they'll leave them on the property so that they're able to, I mean, those, obviously those in the remoter areas. But, but I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot more little game reserves and wildlife sanctuaries that you can go and see all these animals. And it's, it's, it's amazing. It's I, I, uh, I would, I would recommend everyone go and go and visit South Africa. I mean, Cape Town's phenomenal. Um, the, the wine areas there are unbelievable. It's the wineries are absolutely phenomenal. That was uh, the, the last thing I wanted to ask you was about food, wine. Um, I, I know that South Africa wines. I mean, you see them in this country, so obviously it's a pretty advanced industry. But what's your experience in terms of like? You know, typical food. You tweeted out some pictures of, of what you were eating back then. A couple of odd, odd-looking items. But I mean, give us give us kind of the lowdown on cuisine. So, so you know, it's 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 funny. You know, inland it's more of the uh, the Dutch influence and a lot of what they call poiki. It's like kettle pot brewed yeah. meats and stuff, and like a a, a, a meal type, like a oatmeal type uh, boil that they do, which I'm not into at all. It's a good point. If anyone asks what's food like in the United States, it's like, well, it depends where. I mean, the right, South, exactly. New England, Texas, California, right. it's all so exactly. different it's where you are. Yeah. And exactly the same in South Africa. But, you know, where I'm from, you know, there's a huge uh, East Indian influence um, that, that is in Durban. And I mean, Durban's actually on the Indian Ocean side of South Africa. Northeast coast, yeah, northeast coast. And it's, it's more, of an, more of a tropical climate than if you, you can drive... You know, five hours south and the climate changes completely. It's a completely different climate. But um, with that Indian influence, uh, curry is, is a main staple, I mean, amongst everyone. I mean, no matter what your race, color, creed is, 
curry is the go-to for I everyone. Love curry. <laughs> and uh, and we have this thing there that we, we as kids growing up we used to eat them. It's it's basically a the, the bread that, that they make there is fresh every day. You, the next day you can use it as toast. That's it. And uh, you, so you you cut it in half. You hollow hollow it out. You fill it with curry, whether it be a mutton curry or a beef curry or a vegetable curry or a chicken curry. Uh, and uh, you, the, in, the, in, the inside of the bread you put on top and you just dip that on the top and you eat that and then you, you eat it like a, bread a bunny. Bowl. Your, your hands, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's essentially what you're eating with your hands. So yeah. hence the bunny chow. But uh, I'm showing you it and people can't probably see that, but well, no, no, they can't see it. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's, that's huge. And then the other thing, my other favorite is... Uh, Pies, otherwise you, otherwise known as meat pies for you guys. Uh, you guys are, uh, uh, it's phenomenal. I mean, they do all sorts, all sorts. They've got, uh, and that's a bit you know, of the British it. influence. Exactly, yeah. it's phenomenal. I mean, I literally for s- every single day I had a meat pie for 14 straight days straight, every day, <laughs> every single day. Which they looked Just, beautiful. He did yeah. Instagram a picture of the meat pie. Charles, you've tried really making meat pies, pies before, haven't you? I don't think so, but I said I would try right. after seeing that. You make good I crust, mean, I make so. plenty of pies, yeah. so yeah, sure it's, I it's, uh, it's no, no, I mean, those, uh, it's, but, you know, it's, it's pretty diverse. But steak, barbecues, I mean, braais, those known as braai, B-R-A-A-I, it's a braai. So um, that's, those are huge. I mean, steaks on the braai and buravos. Buravos is a staple uh, sausage in South Africa. And it's a buravos basically is a farmer sausage. In translation. And then drinking, so. you talked about the wine. Is there a craft beer culture at all? Is there it's definitely yeah, spirits y- that yes, are it's, particular it's to South not, Africa? It's not well. Yeah, the Amarula uh, Amarula um, uh, it's like a Bailey's, but it's made from the Amarula bean. Hmm. And oh. it's funny because these come out of the, out of the desert area, and these they basically produce this fruit. It's like a nut. And the animals actually know when it bears fruit, and they go and they eat it, and they get drunk (laughs) off of these things. (laughs) So that's cool. And that's the Amarula from South Africa. Drunk little bunnies out there in the (laughs) out there in South Africa. There's a movie they made in the 70s. Like, Like, it's sweet. I mean, it's uh, chocolatey. I mean, it's like Bailey's. Yeah. It's. it's, I mean, it's a lot like Bailey's. (laughs) So. All right. So let's pick up uh, your story after you arrived in the United States. 1990 December Lake Tahoe what was your impressions of this new country where you had landed where you'd ended up well as I you know as I was just telling you guys it was the most amazing thing ever I mean in hindsight looking back you always think about where you've been and how you what your experiences were and Tahoe looking back I couldn't have landed in any better spot I mean unbelievable and absolutely unbelievable um, small town atmosphere yeah, beach guy. I didn't think I'd be spend much time in the snow uh, because I just wanted to be on the beach. But um, uh, it, it was it's one of those things that just grab you. And many people go to these places, and you don't you, as a, they, they they just don't leave because yeah, small town family atmosphere really is amazing. It's really amazing. Now. Um most people who surf and snowboard, a lot of them at least, gravitate toward work in bars and restaurants because that generally happens in the evenings and nights. Leaves you time during the day to follow your other pursuits. Was that what happened for you? You, you found me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it enabled me, you know, it, it, was, it was a little bit of everything. You know, I arrived and uh, I, uh, I didn't know what to do and I wanted to do something. So I started as a host at a restaurant 
and I sucked at it. I was terrible. I was absolutely terrible. I find that hard to believe. But I, I, I'm, I'm, it's one of the things that I, if I look back, I wish I could change. What restaurant were you a host at? It was a, 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 a guy who actually turned out to be a, pretty much my friend to this day, owned this restaurant, and uh, I was, uh, it was called Lake House Pizza. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd get so busy there, and we'd have a line out the door, and I'd be the host, and I wouldn't know where to put people, how to put people. I, I would get stressed you. out. Yes. I wouldn't know what to do. And I'm Addy like, stressed out? No chance. <laughs> Unbelievable. I'll, I'll, it's, it's, I, I cringe when I think it. That, that and the time they put me in the kitchen, and I had a cook, and I was the only cook on duty, and uh, we made our own dough. We used to make our own dough. And uh, sometimes the, 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 the the, the, the humidity would affect the dough and so this one particular night after we were doing they were doing maintenance to the downstairs restaurant they said everyone up in the upstairs portion and it was a random Tuesday night and the place was packed and I was the only cook on duty and the dough had been affected by the humidity so it wouldn't bake and I'm trying to make sandwiches and the, couldn't time anything the waitresses were yelling at me. Oh God! I didn't. I, I just all I did was when I get through the night, I was setting out pizzas. They were had half the dough wasn't cooked. It was insane. I'll never forget that. I quit the next day. So when did you um, migrate south from Lake Tahoe down to San Diego area? So um, just a little bit of history in Tahoe. Yes. I uh, I um I started playing soccer with a bunch of guys up there, and we we're playing the local. Uh, uh, Hispanic league up there and we were the only whiteboard team and they all hated us because we had a lot of good <laughs> athletes and a lot of uh, a lot of English and Scottish guys and a lot of good American players too and we'd win, every, we'd win everything all the time but we, so we became pretty notorious up, up there um, and then I ended up uh, with one of the guys he, he, op- he bought a bar and offered me a partnership so I ended up opening a bar which is why I ended up being up there for so long you know once you get involved with business up there and that family atmosphere I was talking about it's really difficult to be able to try and leave even though I did want to get back to the beach um, and I ironically ended up playing professional soccer out of it for a team at arena before the MLS started so that was the other reason I ended up staying and back to lifestyle coaching kids soccer working bars at night and restaurants and you know but that's where I got a lot of my experience so you were up there for a while 14 years 14 yeah. years okay. yeah 14 years so so um, I ended up, uh, there was this, this girl that used to come into our one bar that I used to bartend at, and uh, she used to cause a little bit of problems, and I've, I'd thrown her out a few times, and she always used to talk to me about her sister. And I was like, she, she was one of those people, uh, she was a drama queen, and you divide, her, divide whatever you, she told you by 10, and she actually brought her in one day, and you know, all the 22 and a half years later, I'm married to Emily and we've been married uh, for 21 years. So. She wasn't exaggerating that much. No. She, <laughs> in fact, she, for the, full, the only time in her life I've ever known her to under-exaggerate. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So Mary, getting married is what brought you down here? So my, my parents-in-law lived down here and, uh, and I wanted to get back to the beach after 14 years in the snow. You know, the first five, six, seven years are great because you're snowboarding and you're having fun in the snow. But, you know, getting to business and getting married and having a kid and all you end up doing is shoveling it and uh, snow blowing it. And then you just get done and the snowplow comes by and puts a big berm in front of your driveway. And yep. Yeah, it takes you. Shell knows that lifestyle yep. too. I, yeah. I have no clue. It's, I've never uh, lived anywhere cold in my life. It gets a little old after a while. Yes, and it so does. it's like, I really want to get back to the beach though. And it was a, we, we had a great opportunity to be able to get come down. So that's where we decided to come down to San Diego. Now, did you know Matt and Tim before you came down here? Because you didn't, you didn't work or you weren't involved 
with the Beagle right away, right? Because you worked at Madeiras. Correct. So, interestingly enough, and this is an important part, I can't believe I glossed, I didn't even talk about it. When I was in Tahoe, when we owned our bar up in Tahoe, uh, a young Matt Gilbert came uh, looking for a job. So uh, I hired him to check IDs at our front door. We used to have a contraption and we used to pay our, our door guys $25 for every fake ID they got. That's awesome. So Matt used to make more than the bartenders every night. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm not lying. I'm not kidding you. You ask Matt about that. He used to make probably 250 plus a night. And there's a picture here at the Regal Siegel of young Matt and young Patty. And you can, it's... Right by the register, you can ask if you come in, if you can look at it. It's kind of unbelievable. <laughs> Have you seen that? <laughs> so please, if you're listening and you come here, you have to look at it. Yeah, so those, uh, those were some fun days. We had some amazing times up there. Uh, you know, Matt started bartending. We taught Matt to bartend, and he ended up becoming a partner with my partner in another bar. Uh, and, you know, we've been friends ever since. So, um, And I've got to tell you this story because... <laughs> It's, uh, it's, he always reminds me of it, especially after he's had a few beers and we're at the anniversary parties. So when I moved down to San Diego, he said, hey, if I move down there, can you get me a job? And I was like, yeah, absolutely, I'll get you a job. You know, I was, I was working at Madeira's Golf Club. I said, yeah, I can get you a job. Well, we had a little mishap at Madeira's that uh, ended up, uh, if anyone had a DUI, you couldn't get a job. Matt came, I said, Matt, come get, a, get an application. He filled out the application. And he said, well, I got a DUI like 10 years ago when I was in Massachusetts, when I was in college. I was like, well, I just put it down. They're not even going to worry about that. Well, it just so happens they said, nope, because of the DUI. Oh, God, that sucks. And so I didn't call him back for two weeks because I didn't know what to tell him. Yeah. And he was mad at me. <laughs> of course. He was mad at me. <laughs> and uh, to the point where he told Tim, and Tim, Tim didn't like me the first time he met me. He was like, he thought I screwed Matt over. <laughs> but I had to tell that story because I want Matt to know that I'm really, really sorry. Yes. I can, worked tell, out okay I can tell by your face. Yeah. Worked out all right for him. Yeah, um, for him and Tim. So give us um, the origins here of the Regal Siegel then, where we spent so much time. And kind of tell us how it all got started and, and how you were part of it. So... Um, I'd been in communication with Matt. I'd been out to the Beagle and seen the Beagle, and then he, uh, he had said that he, they'd got him and Tim had found this spot, and they were going to be opening it. Well, right about the same time, uh, I was at Madeiras, and I'd, I'd, I'd been laid off at Madeiras, and I basically was I was so burned out. I was just like, that's it. I'm, I'm I need to take some time off. I took so I just figured I'm taking six months off, and so I was surfing a lot. And uh, during that time, they'd procured this place and we're doing all the remodels and so I'd go and surfing and drive by and check it out and see it and I'd take some photos and say oh this is what's happened this is what happened I just so Matt because Matt's down south so he didn't know how things were progressing so I was a progressional guy um, and um, eventually place obviously opened I spent the, by the way I spent the very first dollar in this place <laughs> the very first dollar is that one of the dollars that's up on the wall no they, there, I don't no, know if they put no. it up maybe <laughs> it is but I didn't I don't know if they put it up or not but I did I know I did <laughs> I wish here before we opened on the opening day on the soft opening and I bought a beer and I paid them the dollar <laughs> that's awesome anyway um, so two months into it uh, Mac called me one day and said hey you got any interest are you working yet I was like no he said you got any interest in maybe working a couple of shifts behind the bar and at that time you know I'd, I figured I needed to start making a little bit of money but it's give me a, something to pass the time as well so I accepted I said yeah I'll, I'll do that and um, I did that for about you know six months or so no no sorry not six months about two or three months and then uh, 
Then Emily said to me, it's time to get a real job. Um, okay, fair enough. So I started applying for jobs and went to some interviews and did some stuff that I never thought I would do in terms of interviewing. And you know, these group interviews that they do at these corporate places are ridiculous. <laughs> I can't even tell you how embarrassing they were. Um, but uh, I, f I got offered a job and I told Matt and he said, listen, let's work some numbers out. And so we ran some numbers and we're like, okay. Needless to say, Emily was not impressed with me <laughs> getting back into the, the, uh, the bar business the bar again business, after yeah. living with me for all those years up in Tahoe. Yeah. So, but uh, nonetheless, she's gotten over it and I've, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed my time here. It's been absolutely phenomenal. Great people, great people that work here, great people that own it. And the people that come in here are phenomenal, just like you guys. So. Well, I mean, she probably realizes that being in a corporate environment is not going to make you a happy husband, necessarily. And <laughs> while the time and the work that you put in here is a lot, I can I know because Ben does the same thing. Um, I mean, not as far as career, but puts works a lot. And it makes a difference when your husband's happy doing what they're doing so you just gave me an idea though we really need some craft taps at the radio and tv station because then i can really enjoy my time while i'm at work yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i was just about scary. to say is that you know <laughs> as they say as they say whoever they are you know find a job that you love and you'll never work a day in your life well, I mean, this is what I love. I enjoy it and the people and what we do. Obviously, I mean, you know, you know a lot of the regulars. In terms of the overall business here, the clientele, I mean, how would you how would you describe it for someone? I assume most people that listen are pretty familiar with the Regal Siegel, but it's fascinating getting the perspective of someone's here so often as opposed to just a customer's perspective from this side of the bar. It's such a strange and wonderful dynamic. <laughs> it really, really is. And the reason I say that, you know, I've worked in dive bars, I've worked in high-end golf clubs, and you never get a mix of those two. You never get a mix of those two, ever, in any place you go. We are very fortunate in that we have, we, we have all of that in one. We have the clientele that go to dive bars who are sometimes you know, your corporate clients, because they have fun doing that. But we get a mix of that. I mean, you know, as an example, uh, when Kevin Towers was alive, he would come down here and get a sausage. And he'd be sitting next to some skater kid, and it would be totally fine. And that's the sort of mix. You get anything from the skater kid to, you know, GMs of baseball teams to a retired CEO from the airlines. And it, that's the most amazing thing for me. It's, it's, uh, and you get your everyday guy who works hard. He's a contractor and he works hard and he comes in. So that's the most amazing thing to that's, me. Yeah. That's what I love about this bar so much. And I, I think people are starting to get, like my other friends are starting to kind of understand as I explain it. But I have created this circle of friends here at the Regal Seagull that is so diverse and insanely wonderful. Everyone does something different. Everyone is different levels as far as what they, you know, income levels. You know, I'm friends with the bartenders. I mean, Patty's one of my best friends. You know, there's Pete who works at Viasat and there's Dave that works at Morgan Run and, you know, Kelso. He's somewhere every six months, different working. <laughs> but, but there's just a group of um, really fun people there's and then sports gamblers there's golf pros there's well and then there's like you said there's like tony the the contractor that's working on a huge house up the street i mean and i you know and i've just started to get to know him like it's and it's such a d diverse 
group and everyone feels like they can you can talk to each other when you're sitting here. The vibe here is very friendly. It's never I don't know, it's not uptight. It's yeah, you've uh, you made me realize that we've never had a spot like a regular spot Shell and I before in our life. I mean, we went places a while, but this is the first place we've ever agreed on because it's high end enough for me and divey <laughs> enough for Shell. <laughs> and, and we've finally been able to bam, we hit our target market. It's so true. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. I mean, they don't have white tablecloths for you, but no, they probably but the would get one for nice you. The bar is pretty nice, and I'm I'm comfortable here. I'm not always comfortable everywhere, so I'm comfortable here. That's true. Um, That's true. So, Patty, uh, we really appreciate it. Tim looks a little like he's running ragged back there, so I guess he probably. <laughs> He needs a professional back there. Let you get back to work, but uh, can we thank can you. we get a word from Tim? He's yeah, we yeah. Get, Tim, we need to. Tim, we need to get your thoughts on Patty. Unvarnished opinions oh. on Patty. Uh, you don't on want Patty that. Here. He doesn't want that. Maybe you should walk away <laughs> before I really start unleashing. Oh, he's plugging his ears, which are usually I, covered by his hair. I um, <laughs> I know you Helmet. like like most guys. You do, kid. How lost would you be without him? We. It was honestly when he went to South mm-hmm. Africa. It was the best nineteen and a half days <laughs> ever. Like was I was not. I was so much fun. Like I got to walk around and bump into people and forget things and. And he, say what? Did, did your employees okay, tell us? Was, because most no, of it, your, most it was, of okay, it was like day two, and I'm sitting here, and <laughs> Tim looks at me and he goes, "Wow, Patty, Patty does a lot around here." <laughs> it was this was day two, and I'm like, "You have three more weeks, yeah. buddy." What oh, are you and the other bartenders <laughs> all come to us. I don't know that Tim knows what he's doing here. This is this is trouble. By, by day four, <laughs> I had everything down, and I'm like, "Oh, that's why it takes him so long. He doesn't know what he's doing, so he's making up systems that just don't work." <laughs> and I found his abacus back there. And I'm like, there's no way he knows how to use this. I wonder where that thing went. You threw it out, didn't you? I turned it into a belt buckle. I used it on the golf course all the time. It's great. <laughs> well, um, thank you both. Thank you so much, um, Patty. It was a pleasure to get you a little extended time. And I think this will end up being one of our more popular editions, actually, yes. of the podcast. Pretty much anyone who comes in here is going to want to hear the, the Patty South Africa to San Diego story. So, um Thanks for everyone joining us on this edition of Down Our Rendezvous. For Shell, I'm Ben. We'll see you next time. Down at our rendezvous.